Our text for this morning is Malachi chapter 4, verses 4 through 6. And this is the word of God for us. Remember the law of my servant Moses, the statutes and rules that I commanded him at Horeb for all Israel. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes, and he will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with the decree of utter destruction. Will you pray with me? Father, your word is good. We've read that. We've sung that. And now I pray that you will allow us to experience that truth as well. Grant us wisdom, life, growth, faith, repentance in your word. God, do what only you can do. Speak through me a weak, flawed vessel and work in your church to accomplish great things. That's our prayer in Christ's holy name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. You know, openings and closings mean a lot. There are a lot of books and a lot of movies where the first words or the final line will, will stick with you for a long time. And throughout history, isn't it true that people have seen fit to really pay attention to somebody's last words? You hear about, oh, the last words he said were this. For me, every year that I read through the Bible, I find myself really feeling a, a sense of gravity when I reach the end of the book of Revelation. Does, does that happen to you when you get to the end of Revelation? You, you're like, wow, these are the last inspired words that God saw fit to re record for the church. And they feel so sweet. They feel so important. That there's something about seeing how God closes the book that sets our hearts on the idea of the coming of Jesus and, and a longing for everything to be set right. There's something beautiful about the fact that the grace of God, that a blessing is the last thought before John puts away his pen and the stream of supernatural revelation ceases. Well, today we have a joy of seeing a similar ending. It's not the final word from God as in Revelation, but it is the way God chooses to close the Old Testament scriptures. Now, if you go by the original Hebrew book order, the book of Chronicles is the final book physically. It would have been compiled probably just before the ministry of Malachi. It closes the section that would be called the writings. But the book of Malachi ends the section called the prophets and looks to be the final inspired word before the opening of the New Testament. So four centuries of silence, over 400 years of no authoritative revelation rings out between the closing of Malachi and the angel Gabriel coming to Zechariah to predict the birth of John the Baptist and the coming of Jesus the Messiah. So you've got to imagine what God would say to wrap up not only the book of Malachi, but also the entirety of the Old Testament. You've got to think this is significant. What's the context then of our passage for today? What's the context? 
In the beginning, God created all things. God, by his own power, by his word alone, for his glory alone, brought the universe into being. God fashioned humanity in his image, giving us unique worth and a significance and a responsibility to magnify his great name. And the people God made rebelled against him. They refused to obey God's commands. They plunged all of the universe into a state of fallenness and brokenness. God, of course, could have destroyed the people that he created. That would have been just. But God had a plan that was far better. God had always planned that he was going to demonstrate his mercy and his justice. So when the people sinned against God in the garden, God made a promise. God promised that he was going to send somebody special into the world. Over time, we began to call the one, the promised one, the Christ. We began to call him the Messiah. The, the, Old, the Old Testament predicts that this one to come, he's going to set right what has gone wrong between God and mankind. The one to come, he's going to be a king who would reign over the world forever. The one to come will conquer sin. The one to come will conquer the devil. The one to come will magnify the glory of God for all of eternity. The story of the Old Testament is the story of God promising and promising and promising the coming of the Savior. And God chose a particular man to use as the founder of a nation and God promised he would bring the Savior into the world through that nation. And as we watch that nation, Israel, grow through its history in the Old Testament, we see the glory of God on display. God gives Israel the law. In the law of God, the people see their imperfection as compared to God's perfection. The law of God shows you how much you need a Savior. Isn't that true? And, and the law of God served as a restraint against evil. Israel, when they lived under the law of God, even the ones who weren't totally interested in God, when they lived under the law of God, they were a more moral nation than the nations around them that did not know the Lord. And, of course, the law of God showed those who were genuinely interested in honoring God and fearing God how they could behave to please God. So throughout the history of Israel, we've seen that the nation, time and time again, refused to obey God's commands. Even though Israel agreed that they would be bound by the law of God, they all signed the contract together. We're in. They constantly refused to keep their word. Even though the law included great blessings for obedience and hard curses for disobedience, the nation disobeyed, and they faced the punishments that God promised them that they would receive. And the prophets in the Old Testament repeatedly reminded the people of God, you're facing big trouble if you will not repent and obey what God commanded. The prophets told the nation that if they don't repent, God's going to allow other nations to come in and conquer them. And that happened. The prophets also promised that no matter what, God would preserve a small part of this nation alive 
so God could bring the promised Savior through the remnant. And Malachi is the final one of those prophets to speak before the time of the New Testament. Malachi speaking to the people of Israel who remained living in Judah around 430 BC or so continued to remind the people that they needed to repent of violating the law of God and they needed to turn to the Lord in sincerity. God using Malachi pointed out several sins of the nation. The people doubted God's love and goodness in chapter 1 verses 1 through 5. The people despised God's name and refused to honor him and fear him, chapter 1, verse 6. They failed to worship God according to the way God had required, chapter 1, verses 7 through 14. They refused to properly teach the holy word of God, chapter 2, verses 1 through 9. The priests of the nation broke their marriage vows and violated God's law regarding the family, chapter 2, 10 through 16. The people were accusing God of not being just, not properly punishing evil, chapter 2, verse 17. The people were failing to properly give as an act of worship, robbing God of tithes and offerings as he commanded in the law, chapter 3, verses 7 through 12. And ultimately, most of those people were saying that it is useless, it is vain, it is not worth it to go through the trouble of following God, chapter 3, verses 13 through 15. There were two places in the prophecy where God used Malachi to point to the future. God promised that there was a day coming when he would send someone into the world who would refine his people and fulfill all of his promises. Chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. And God promised a small remnant who had been honoring him rightly, who had been faithful. God promised that remnant that a day was going to come when God would bring ultimate justice, judging those who oppose God, and rewarding those who were under His grace. Chapter 3, 16 to chapter 4, verse 3. There's our context. And in so many ways, the book of Malachi is a microcosm of the Old Testament. Most of the people of the nation refused to follow God even though God's law is perfect. Some do follow God and find themselves under God's protection. And in it all, God keeps promising, I'm going to send the Savior into the world and He will save a people for me. And that Savior will rule. And that Savior will bring justice. He will finally judge the wicked and finally reward everyone under the grace of God. And now, we have three verses left to review. A tiny closing to this book. They close Malachi. They close the Old Testament. And they show us two vital things that were appropriate for the people of 430 BC. And those two vital things are still appropriate for you and me today. So let's find two points as God calls his people to remember and repent. Point number one, remember the word of God. Remember the word of God. Look at verse four. Remember the law of my servant Moses, the statutes and rules that I commanded him at Horeb, 
for all Israel. All right, just a quick question for you. How many of you are fans of The Lion King? And I don't, I don't know anything about the new live action thing. I could not care less about that. But I remember the cartoon, the animated version, very well, right? And there's that scene when the young lion's father calls on Simba, what? Remember who you are, right? I wish I could do that voice. Now, that wasn't just a call, though, for Simba to re remember particular facts about his parentage or inheritance. Mufasa was telling his son to take his identity to heart. Remember who you are. Remember so that you start living in accord with who you are. That's what the father was after. Not recall of data. Well, as this book draws to a close, bless you, the Lord, through Malachi, calls the people to remember God's law. This is not God telling the people, I think that you have forgotten that the law exists. And it's not God saying, I think you've forgotten the law's content. It is God calling on the people to remember the law in such a way that it changes their behavior. God is calling the people to remember their commitment to the law of God. He's calling them to return to a respect for and an obedience to the word of God. And it isn't really hard to understand why God would say this, is it? God is... He, these people, all the stuff that I mentioned earlier that were their sins, all of them were very clearly covered in the law. God's law tells people exactly what is required in the sacrificial system, right? The people ignored it. God's law tells the people exactly what's required in their marriages. And they ignored that. God's law told the people exactly what was required in their giving, and they ignored that. And in all of those instances, the people were acting as if they had no possible idea. Why would God be angry with me? They were living as though they had forgotten the law of God. The Hebrew word that's here translated law is the word Torah. What does the word Torah mean? It means law. But it also means instruction. It means teaching. The word Torah first appears in Genesis 26, where Abraham is said to have followed God's instruction or law. Now, the books of the Torah were written hundreds of years later. But there, that word Torah means what God instructed Abraham to do. But by the time the book of Exodus is around, we have God giving Moses instructions that he wrote down. 
So the Torah in the books of Moses refers both to commands given by God on Mount Sinai, as well as the particular rules and the particular instructions that were given for all the parts of Hebrew life in other places. The book of Deuteronomy tells us that Moses wrote down all the words of the law, the, the Torah, and Moses preserved them for future generations. Then when Joshua hits the scene, the word Torah is used almost exclusively to refer to the written down commands of God. Torah means God's teaching written down in the book. And while the word sure can mean just general instruction, when we see the word Torah used in the formal sense in which we just read in verse 4, there is no question that this is a reference to the entire written down revelation of God. How does God talk about his written down revelation? Think of Psalm 19, just this is the first two lines of verse 7. Psalm 19 verse 7 reads like this. The law, there's the word Torah, the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. There's a little phrase for your memory verse vault, right? David said the law of God, the Torah of God is perfect, reviving the soul. The, the law that the people of Malachi's day were forgetting, it's the law, whose law? The law of the Lord is perfect. It was the instruction of God. It was the words of God. It is the law that belongs to the Lord that the people were forgetting. And think about this. Does it not make sense to you that to ignore the words of God is for you to choose to ignore God himself? To forget the words of God is to forget God himself. To be less than committed to the word of God is for you to not be committed to God himself. The priests and the people of Malachi's day would have surely known this. And David describes the Torah as perfect. That's a Hebrew word that literally means complete, sound, blameless. God's law does not fall short. It lacks nothing. It says nothing wrong. It is right from beginning to end, and it misses nothing in the middle. So understand, when the people of God are forgetting the law of God, they are turning their backs on perfection. They have knowledge of the perfect instruction of God that leads to life. They have clear promises of God that tell them that if they as a nation will do what God says, God will protect them and prosper them and establish them as a nation. Even in Malachi chapter 3, in relation to giving, what did God tell the people? He told them, test me, prove me, I promise I'll keep my end of the bargain. And still the people refused to obey. They forgot the law of God. And as God draws the Old Testament to a close, one of the two last instructions God has for his people is that they remember 
his Torah, his law, his written down word. God calls his followers to return to his word. Now Malachi wrote about the Torah because that's the word of God that the people were ignoring. It's the covenant the people were breaking. David in Psalm 19 wrote about the Torah because that was a summary word for all of the scripture that David had available to him. What do we use as the summary word for all the scripture that we have available to us? Do you know? The Bible. You and I have all of the writing available to us that David had and all the writing available to to, to us that Malachi had. But in addition, you and I have the New Testament scriptures. And all of these writings carry the same weight. All are the written down revelation from God. And so where Malachi and David talk about the Torah, you and I need to talk about the Bible. And it is vital that you and I understand what the Bible says about the Bible. We need to know this because it really matters. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17 says, All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. 2 Peter 1, 19 to 21 says, And we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed to which you will do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man. But men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. God has spoken to you and me as well. This is not God speaking to us in a mystical, confusing, unclear voice. This is not a hunch you get when you pray. God inspired men of old to write down for us his perfect revelation of himself. In the Bible, what do we see? We see who God is. In the Bible, we see what is God's standard of perfection. In the Bible, we see where you and I fall short of that perfection. In the Bible, we see how to find forgiveness in Jesus Christ. In the Bible, we see how God wants his people in Christ to live and to worship. In the Bible, we see God's promise of a perfect eternity to come for everyone who is under the grace of God. The Bible is the perfect, inspired, inerrant, infallible word of God. It works in you. It sanctifies you. It is our standard for truth and practice. And we will do well to pay attention to it as to a lamp shining in a dark place. The word of God, the Bible, is the revelation of God that you have access to. There is no other perfect form of divine revelation available to anybody. 
So what should you do? Love the Word of God. Read the Word of God. Submit to the Word of God. Remember the Word of God. Interestingly, just from memory, do you guys remember what Psalm 19, 7, the law of the Lord is perfect. What does it do to the soul according to that verse? Reviving the soul, right? Reviving the soul, restoring the soul. But what's interesting there is the word that's there for restoring the soul, reviving the soul. It's a word that means to turn around or change directions. You tell me, what, what's the other word that we use for someone who, when they see the word of God, turns around and changes directions? What's the word for that? Repent. Repentance. That word is actually translated repent in multiple places. So that, that, that verse tells us that God's word, God's Torah, brings you to repentance. It repents your soul. Why is that so interesting to me? Because here in Malachi, right after God says, remember my word, the final word in the Old Testament from God to his people is a call for them to repent. Point number two, repent before it is too late. Point number two, repent before it is too late. Look at the last two verses of the Old Testament, five and six here, Malachi 4. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes, and he will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. These are the final words of God before four centuries of silence. These are the words God wanted his people to hear. They are a promise. They're a prediction. They are a call to repentance. I have to say, for the people of 430 B.C., I think this would have been a little bit difficult to understand, don't you? God promised he was going to send them his servant Elijah before the great day of the Lord. Who's Elijah? Elijah was an important prophet. You can read about Elijah at the end of 1 Kings and the beginning of 2 Kings. Elijah repeatedly warns the northern kingdom of Israel about the judgment of God that they're going to face for their idolatry and for their disobedience. And Elijah was taken from this world by God in that glorious scene with the whirlwind and the chariots and horses of fire in 2 Kings 2. And the people may well have wondered, is God promising the people of Israel that this prophet's going to have a second coming? Is Elijah going to physically come to earth someday? God says he's going to send Elijah before the great and awesome day of the Lord. Throughout the Old Testament, we see day of the Lord language. And day of the Lord language refers to a time, a moment when God moves to do justice. So day of the Lord, God's day language refers to several events in the Old Testament that took place when God toppled nations and brought judgment or otherwise changed the shape of the world. That, those were day of the Lord moments. But by the end of Malachi, we're gaining in day of the Lord language future implications. And ultimately, the day of the Lord begins to be used of the ultimate day that is still to come, the day 
ultimately, the ultimate day of judgment. So the day of the Lord came at different places. When, when Christ came and brought about salvation, that's the day of the Lord. When, when Jerusalem fell in 87, that's the day of the Lord. But there is a day of the Lord, the ultimate final day of the Lord to come. God promised he would send Elijah before the day of judgment. And what was Elijah going to do? He was going to turn the hearts. He was going to move hearts, turning fathers to their children, turning children to their fathers. What's God saying there? Is this prophet going to fix families? Maybe. Is he going to reunite divided generations? Perhaps. Will he, and I think this makes the most sense, turn the minds of the people of Israel back to the law of God, the law of their fathers, turning fathers to their children, children of their fathers, maybe. But whatever change Elijah is going to bring about, it's an important repentance that Elijah is going to bring about. Because, you see, if the people do not obey the call of Elijah, God says he is going to come and strike the land with a curse, a decree of utter destruction. And Elijah represents the final warning for Israel before the Lord carries out on the nation the judgment he promised all the way back in Leviticus and Deuteronomy. If the hearts of the people don't change, the nation will fall. And then the Old Testament closes. And the people of Malachi's day would have known this. God has called them to his word they would have known God promised to send a prophet, a messenger before the day of the Lord. And they would have known that without their repentance, they are going to face the judgment of God. It's pretty parallel to what we read. Um, if you go back at chapter 3 of Malachi, the beginning of chapter 3, very similar. Verse 1 says, Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. And the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. But who can endure the day of his coming? And who can stand when he appears? For he's like a refiner's fire and like fuller's soap. Then look down at verse 5. Then I will draw near to you for judgment. I will be a swift witness against the sorcerers, against the adulterers, against those who swear falsely, against those who oppress the hired worker and his wages, the widow and the fatherless, against those who thrust aside the sojourner and do not fear me, says the Lord of hosts. We studied this passage a few weeks ago, and God promised a messenger Elijah from chapter 4, a messenger to come. And the messenger's job is going to be to tell the people, get ready for the arrival of God himself. He's coming. This is the arrival of the one that's been promised for all of the Old Testament. Elijah's job is to say, get ready, he's coming. And the promised one who comes is going to both refine the repentant, helping them to worship the Lord rightly, and the one to come is going to bring the judgment of God down on the heads of those who oppose the righteousness of God. And I've got to say, I think Malachi and his contemporaries may have had a really hard time knowing exactly how all this was going to work out. From our perspective, with New Testaments in hand, we know, don't we? Luke chapter 1, the, the, Zechariah, 
the father of John the Baptist, said this about his son to come. Luke 1, 76 through 79. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High. For you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways. Malachi 3. To give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high. Early Malachi 4. To give light to those who sit in darkness and the shadow of death. To guide our feet into the way of peace. That's what John the Baptist's dad said about him in Luke 1. But you know what's funny? When Pharisees or, or teachers of the law came to talk to John the Baptist and ask, Are you Elijah? You know what John said in John 1.21? No. No. Why? Because John, concrete thinker that he was, knew, no, I'm John. Right? John's like, I'm not Elijah, I'm John. Read my name tag. It says John. I do not believe John wore a name tag. John, John was not a reincarnation of the prophet Elijah. John was, in John's own understanding, the one sent by God to call the people of God to prepare to meet God. John sounds the trumpet. God's coming, get ready! And some people repented. But now here's what's even better. When Jesus spoke about John the Baptist, <laughs> Jesus lets his followers know that in fulfillment of prophecy, in a symbolic sense, John in fact is the promised Elijah sent by God to prepare the way for the coming Messiah, the promised one. Matthew eleven nine 9 says, What then did you go out to see, a prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is Jesus speaking. This is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before your face. Malachi 3 who will prepare your way before you. Then verse 13, Jesus says, For all the prophets and the law prophesied until John, and if you're willing to accept it, he is Elijah who is to come. Malachi 4. It was John's ministry to point people to Jesus. John called Israel to repent to turn back to the word of God, to prepare for the arrival of the Christ. And those whose hearts turned to Jesus, they were going to be forgiven. And if the nation had believed in Jesus, their future would have looked a whole lot different. But the nation as a whole did not hear, hear John. They would not hear John. God knew that. God promised that. They didn't repent. They didn't accept Jesus as the Messiah. And by the year A.D. 70, the nation was, as God promised, struck with a decree of utter destruction. The temple was ruined. Jerusalem was ruined. And through the centuries that followed that time, only a small remnant of that nation would believe and find salvation in Christ. The door was always open for them to find salvation in Christ, but only a handful would. But what was the message of Malachi to Israel? 
repent before it's too late. Turn to the Word of God and prepare to receive the grace of God in the Messiah. Let me ask you, friends, do you think that that message still applies to us today? We can look back and we can see that Jesus came, didn't he? God in the flesh. Jesus is the promised Messiah. Jesus lived a perfect life. Jesus died a sacrificial death. Jesus rose up from the grave and conquered death and proved that he is exactly who he claims to be. Jesus is alive today. Jesus commands all people everywhere to repent. Jesus offers a free gift of salvation to anyone who will entrust their soul and their eternity to him. Jesus saves those who repent and believe. And the message of the ending of Malachi is our message to each other and it's our message to the world beyond. We know Jesus is going to come to the earth again. We know that Jesus will come in judgment on the great day of the Lord. And we now are a voice urging all people everywhere to repent of their sin and get under the grace of Jesus Christ before it is too late. What's interesting to me right now is how God closes the Old Testament is very, very similar to how God closes the whole of divine revelation, the Bible. God calls on people to remember his word and repent of their sins. God offers grace to those who will believe in him and turn from their evil ways. And God offers grace to all who will stop thinking that they're their own masters, but who will come to Jesus in faith to find life. So, so if you don't know Jesus, I would urge you, believe in God's word and repent of your sin. Trust in Jesus. Come to Jesus. Find grace before his judgment falls on you. If you do know Jesus, what's the consistent call? Remember the word of God and repent and believe to find grace in Jesus. Remember and repent. Remember and repent. Remember the word and repent. Travis, where do you get that call? Malachi 4, 4 through 6 says, Remember the law of my servant Moses, the statutes and rules that I commanded him at Horeb for all Israel. Remember. And behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes and he will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers lest I come and strike the lamb with a decree of utter destruction. Repent. But how does the whole Bible close, friends? Revelation chapter 2, verse 16 and following. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you about these things for the churches. I am the root and the descendant of David, the bright morning star. The spirit and the bride say, come. And let the one who hears say, come. And let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who desires take the water of life without price. Repent for grace. I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book. If anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues described in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God will take away his share in the tree of life and in the holy city which are described in this book. 
remember the word? He who testifies to thee says, Surely I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with all. Amen. Let's pray together. Lord God, again we thank you for your word. Again we praise you for your perfect and righteous decrees. We thank you for preserving a holy, perfect, inspired text that teaches us who you are and how we might know you. And we pray that as we remember your word, you will draw your people to repentance. Jesus, I know there are people that you will save before you return. I pray that you will use your word to save them. I pray that you will use this church to be a part of taking the gospel to them. I pray that you will use our lives to, to be tools in your hand to watch you break through uh, people's resistance to you, that they might turn and trust in Jesus and find life. And Lord, now I would ask you, as we sing, as we respond just to the words that we've heard, Make us a people who love your word, turn from sin, and live in your mercy. That's our prayer in Jesus' holy name. Amen.